Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> This show was first broadcast in 2014. Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, something fishy and zapping mozzie bites. But first up, here's the news. Sperm that can smell. Researchers from Vanderbilt University have discovered that mosquito sperm have odorant receptors along their tails. These are the same receptors that the adult mosquito uses in their antennae to detect scents. If the odor receptors evolved first in the sperm and were later reused in the adult mosquito's sense of smell, then it's likely that many other insect sperm can also detect smells. The sperm may need a chemical signal to become ready for fertilisation, as they start swimming around within a day of insemination. The Vanderbilt University Laboratory used a new video assay to show the sperm tails beat more frequently when exposed to certain chemical cues, but didn't react when the odorant receptors were blocked. It's hoped that they can find a compound to make male mosquitoes sterile. The paper was titled Odorant Receptor-Mediated Sperm Activation in Disease Vector Mosquitoes and was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. Olfactor receptors have also been found in human sperm, but it's controversial whether they're used in any way. Here's a story to stop you itching. It's mosquito season in Australia, and there's all sorts of things on the shelf sold to repel the mozzie or stop the itch. On a recent visit to my local pharmacy, I saw piezoelectric mozzie itch zapper. The piezoelectric bite zapper is new to me. It claims to be a battery-free method of applying a high-voltage direct current to your skin to stop the histamines being released in response to the poisons from the bite stopping the itching. The device squeezes a crystal, which causes it to emit a spark, exactly the same as a hand lighter. In fact, there are tutorials around the web showing you how to extract the piezoelectric sparker out of a lighter to save you the $15 you might otherwise spend on the bite zapper. Where does the bite zapper come from? Does it work? And if so, how? Before we can answer these questions, we need to take a side trip into what happens when a mosquito bites. Female mosquitoes bite humans because we're yummy, and because they need a blood meal before they can lay their eggs. From the saliva, they inject an anticoagulant protein that keeps blood flowing when it would normally start clotting. The protein causes several inflammatory immune reactions that release histamines that result in swelling and itching. 
Histamines are produced in connective tissue and make your veins more open to white blood cells so that your immune system can attack pathogens. Unfortunately, this causes swelling. The feeling of itching is transmitted by tiny C-fiber nerves that extend nearly to the skin's surface. These C-fibers can be activated directly by an irritant that gets into your skin or by immune system cells that patrol the skin and release histamine when they detect something foreign. The histamine binds to the nerve endings, which send a message to the brain that the skin needs attention. Scratching may work because the brain can process only one signal of sensation at a time from a particular location in the skin, and by providing another type of irritation, we suppress the itch. If you follow the urge to scratch, you're following a deep neurological pathway that's hardwired into our brains. Scratching makes you dig enough to dislodge a biting insect like a flea, tick or mosquito. It's a functional response that attacks the immediate cause of the problem. Too much scratching, however, can trigger an itch-scratch cycle, in which the scratching aggravates the body into releasing more histamine, which causes swelling, which stimulates nerve endings, which causes more itching. Better not to need to scratch. So, where does the piezoelectric bite zapper come from? The electrical stimulation technique was discovered by accident by an Illinois farmer who was hyperallergic to bee stings last century. He found that application of a high-voltage, low-current shock reduced the severity of his allergic reaction to being stung. He originally used motorcycle batteries. Don't try this at home, it's dangerous. The high-voltage and low-current electric shocks have since been used on snake bites, scorpion bites and spider bites, using a safer device based on a 9-volt battery stun gun. The stun gun applies 25 kilovolts at 1 milliamp to cause a shutdown of blood vessels in the area by electrospasm. This stopped the venom spreading until it broke down and was less poisonous. Researchers determined that the current changes the hydrogen bonds in the venom enzymes while electrochemically reducing the metal ions in the venom and changing the way the venom was able to interact with cell membranes. Or in other words, the electric charge changed the venom so it was less poisonous. The Zanzaclick mosquito zapper is the same principle in a safer guise, made by Italian company Technimed, although similar devices appear to be marketed around the world. By using a piezoelectric crystal to generate millisecond pulses of electric sparks, you can precisely control how much voltage and current is being applied without causing more than a slightly unpleasant sting so you can safely try this one at home. Although there's no batteries to be used up, the mechanical parts do wear out, requiring you to buy a new one. The device generates 13 kilovolts at 0.7 milliamps for 0.01 milliseconds. The original patent is from 1969, with many more recent patents. The 1996 patent claims that the device works by electrically causing a breakdown of the toxins in the venom or saliva of the biting animal. By means of electrolysis, where the water is broken down into hydrogen and oxygen, anaphoresis and cataphoresis, which are the movement of negative and positively charged molecules towards electrodes. An electrochemical cell needs a container, a negative anode electrode, and a positive cathode electrode, and a salt electrolyte solution. The site of the bite on your skin is the electric cell. Your skin, blood and intracellular liquid are the electrolyte. The electrodes of the device placed on your skin are the anode and cathode. 
The claim is that this electrochemistry quickly breaks down the proteins in the mosquito's saliva that causes your immune system to produce the histamines that make the bite swell and become itchy. Does it work? No combination of keywords online would find me more than the existence of clinical trials of the mozzie bite zapper, and a search of the institutions named didn't help. Charles Willock came to my aid by contacting the manufacturer Technimed directly in Italy and asking them for the research, which they sent. In 1997, a paper titled Treatment with a New Electronic Device of Consequence of Mosquito Bite or Urtica Inflammation was published in Acta Toxicologia et Therapeutica. The authors Ventura and Garola from Civil Hospital in Bergamo, Italy, say that the most accepted theory was that the electric spark reduces the release of histamine, while the mosquito saliva's anticoagulant proteins are cooked or denatured and deactivated by the current. They describe a randomised controlled clinical trial with 100 volunteers. They applied five clicks or impulses within two minutes after the bite or the application of a nettle sting. They found 88% of people's mosquito bites disappeared within five minutes after the device was applied. 92% of people were free of pain and itch from stinging nettles five minutes after application. Their conclusion is the device works. In 2002, the study, a randomised double-blind placebo-controlled clinical evaluation of the piezoelectric device to reduce symptoms associated with insect bites, was conducted by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, University of London. They say there are two responses to a mosquito bite, an immediate response mediated by histamines, in which symptoms disappear after a few hours, and a delayed response mediated by cells, which happens a day or two after the bite. They point out that antihistamines only help the first response, leaving people to suffer the delayed response. The team used an inactivated device that made the same click as the working device as the placebo control. They confined individual hungry mosquitoes in a clear plastic tube with netting on one end so they could apply them to spots on both volunteers' arms. The Zanzaclick devices, active and placebo, were placed over the bites and clicked six times. One arm got the active device and one arm the placebo, making volunteers their own controls. The sample was only 24 people. 78% of people preferred the active device for relief from mosquito bites, while only 20% preferred the placebo device. Their conclusion, the device works. In 2005, a Melbourne University review of these two studies points out that the Zanzaclick device reduces inflammation and associated itching from the immediate response, but not the delayed response. This is in the device's favour because the delayed response is needed by the body for healing to be summoned to the bitten area. Without the delayed response, the bite wouldn't heal. The author, Associate Professor Khalil, argued for an extra mechanism for the piezoelectric action to be considered. He suggests that voltage stimulation is known to block sensory nerves and could prevent the neurogenic inflammatory response from progressing. When injured by a bite, the small nerve fibres release neuropeptides to start a neurogenic inflammatory response. By reducing the body's response to the invading substances, the venom will have time to dissipate and become inactive without hurting you. In 2008, a study titled Zanzaclick Relief from Itching of Mosquito Bites was conducted by the University of Bologna. This was also a double-blind, placebo-controlled clinical trial. 
The team makes special mention of the instruction to volunteers to refrain from scratching their arms during the study. The sample size was 67 women and 33 men. As in the London trial, the placebo device looked the same and made the same clicking sound. The trial had the actual piezo device applied to the less sensitive fleshier parts of the arm so that the feeling of using the real bite zapper was similar to using the fake zapper. Experimental subjects were asked to rate their itching after being bitten on the visual analogue scale, VAS, from 0, no itching, to 10, severe itching. The findings were that the device reduces itching and swelling after mosquito bites, and it's safe to use by individuals without a prescription or medical supervision. So there you have it. Three clinical trials show that the piezoelectric bite clicker will stop itching in most people, if it's applied soon after you're bitten by mosquitoes. It probably works by electrically destroying the structure of the anti-clotting proteins used by the mosquito, while also reducing the release of histamines, and also reducing the sensitivity of the sensory nerves at the site of the bite. So stop scratching. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Fish and spam and scam? And now here's a word from P.T. Barnum. There is a sucker born every minute. Each time that second hand sweeps through the top like dandelions up, they pop their ears so big, their eyes so wide and low. I feed them bona fide baloney with no truth in it. Why, you can bet I'll find some room to buy my corn. Cause there's a sure shooting sucker born a minute. And I'm referring to the minute you was born. Blessed hour brings 60 of them. Each time that wooden cuckoo shows his face, another sucker takes his place, plunks his quarter on the line to buy my brand of genuine malarkey. God bless and love them, but don't feel sad or hopping mad or cause a scene. Cause there's a sure shooting sucker born a minute, but man, you might have been the minute in between. Fishing with a pH instead of an F is when scammers try to trick you into confirming your email is a valid and active one and get you to give them your phone number, address, passwords, and bank details. If they get enough, they can break into your accounts, but even just validating an email gives them something real of yours to sell at your expense. It's a form of social engineering. There's lots of information about you online, some of it's wrong, and some of it's out of date. If they can get you to personally validate information about you is correct and current, then they can get a much higher price. This is why Facebook will ask you to answer questions it already should know the answers to. Profiles of information about people are worth a lot of money to market researchers and criminals. I received an email today claiming to be offering a job. The first thing that made me suspicious was that the subject line was just my surname, Wolf. It's very unlikely that any human will send you an email with your name as the subject. It's much more likely that it's an automated span system working off a database that already asserts my surname and email address. Perhaps it's also meant to get my attention. The next suspicious thing is that the email is from someone with an email address at Outlook.com. Outlook is the name of the popular Microsoft email program. 
and it's unlikely an employer will ever use that address. Even Microsoft have their own address at Microsoft.com. The same would go for a job offer from someone using a Hotmail or a Gmail address. A real employer or recruiter would use an email address that includes their company name. The email itself has nobody's phone number, address, or even website at the bottom. The only way to respond to their entry-level individuals for the administrative position request is to reply to the email. Any real employer or recruiter will have multiple ways to contact you and would like to get you on the phone as soon as possible. The job ad itself doesn't ask for any real experience or skills other than Word and Excel. And a bunch of words that boil down to asking that you can work with other people and can talk with customers and be responsible. All very generic. There is no mention at all of the name of the company or what service or product their customers buy. The final nail in the coffin of any belief that the job offer is genuine is that the message was sent to an old email address at an employer I haven't worked for in 10 years. That employer kindly installed an automatic forward so that I would continue to receive emails to that old work email address. I'm not registered on any job search site with that old email address, so it's very unlikely a genuine employer would have found it. It almost had to be combed off publicly findable information about me that have been collected into a database. Fishers can attack you by phone as well. I had a phone call claiming to be from Windows support, that they'd seen from my internet use that I had a virus on my Windows computer. Now, I'm working from home, so I don't have any computer support department that could call me, and I don't run the Windows operating system at home. Any support company that noticed my computer problems from my internet usage would have to be stalking me. Despite not having Windows at home, I know it really well. I played along as he urged me to sit in front of my PC and follow his instructions. I guess most people have been trained to blindly follow instructions from their employer's computer support department. He gave me instructions and I pretended to follow them. I visualised what the results would be on a Windows box and told him what I would have been seeing. He gave me instructions that would have opened up my computer security to cause problems and then install his malicious software as a fix. That way, he would have full control of my PC and its information and he could encrypt my hard drive and make me pay a ransom to regain control of my information or sell use of my PC in a zombie network of captured PCs to other criminals. At this point, I had other things to do, so I hung up. I had a more interesting phone call from someone claiming that they were doing a market research survey about gambling. I answered the survey questions, and then they wanted to post me a thank you gift for helping with their survey. So, they needed my postal address. They were going to send me a pocket video player. Next, they told me that there was going to be a new Crown Casino open in Canberra, and I'd have sweepstake tickets. I'm guessing they'd Google mapped my address to work out that Canberra was far enough away that it was unlikely that I'd be travelling there soon, and that I wouldn't know for sure that there wasn't a casino opening there. They called back another day to tell me that my ticket had been drawn for the sweepstake at the casino opening but then I needed to have attended the party for them to pay. 
In reality, there was no casino opened in Canberra. They claimed they were from the Crown Casino, and they wanted me to be able to claim my 50000 Hong Kong dollars prize money, despite not having been present at the opening party. They emailed me a scan of a cheque that looked genuine, except for the fact that it was drawn on the HSBC bank, and the logo was wrong. The Crown Casino logo was also wrong. I thanked them and told them I would simply deposit the printout of the cheque so they didn't have to do any more. I knew at some point they would ask me for money. It was just a matter of time and the excuse. They kept calling me back with phone call after phone call. They claimed that the printed cheque wouldn't be accepted by any bank, so they wanted my personal bank account details and a scan of my signature in order to make a direct digital deposit. I told them they must be mistaken. I quietly got on the train to visit my local HSBC branch while they promised on my mobile phone to get HSBC to call me. People from what sounded like the same office called me back claiming to be from the HSBC bank and told me that I would need to pay tax on the winnings before they could transfer the money to my account. ka A real bank would have had me call a publicly listed phone number for them to validate it really was the bank. I arrived at the real HSBC branch and had a chat with one of the staff. I showed him the printout of the cheque, and he assured me it was fake. But that if it had been real, I could have deposited the printout without waiting for the original to be posted, or for any electronic funds transfer. It would have been as good as a real one. He also assured me that the information the fishers had wouldn't allow them to withdraw any money or change any passwords in my bank account. In fact, previously, a signature and a bank account number would have been able to be faxed to allow a withdrawal to be made, but the rules have been changed to block that. However, he recommended I open a new account on the spot in case they had an angle that he hadn't heard of. They called me back a last time. I explained that I would have the money to pay the tax after my winnings were paid. They insisted the tax must be paid first to free up the $50,000. I gave them a lecture on how no government taxes you before you get paid because then nobody would be able to afford to pay tax. Governments either get your employer or the prize giver to take the money out before you're paid or they wait until you're paid in full and then present you with a tax bill. It makes no sense to bill you before you're paid. They hung up and I never heard from them again. So, be wary of fishers trying to make a buck off you by tricking you into validating your private information with cruel hopes of paid work or free prizes and selling you to the highest bidder. Some of the buyers will be trying to break into your email, Twitter, Facebook, credit card and bank accounts. Don't help them. It's okay to be suspicious of unexpected good fortune and to look out for the signs that someone is trying to trick you as long as you can also accept those rare times when something you've been looking for really does come your way. The following year, I won a free laptop through an online sweepstakes. A different bank offered free entry in their laptop sweepstakes if you switch from paper to email bank statements. The bank phoned me to tell me I'd won and asked me to validate my ID on their claim form with a justice of the peace to claim my prize. 
I had the local Justice of the Peace notarise my form, and I posted it by registered mail. My free laptop was delivered on my birthday, and I still use it. Oh, we got him. Oh, yeah, we got him. With a service that says nowadays we got him. Oh, we got him. We sure got him. With convenience, we can sell them then and there. Plus, we give our service to that car from top to bottom. Then we get him. And when we get him, that's when. And that was We Got Em by the Exxon Singers. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash Diffusion Radio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including... Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MVR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2 XFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos, and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labeled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.